The Lollygaggers podcast believes sequels and reboots are healthy, so long as the sequel subtitles are funny and the reboot fixes your computer. In this episode, Justin ignites chance for Alita Battle Angel 2 Electric Boogaloo, while Jeff pulls some cool tabletop signs off Kickstarter. Both lollygaggers then hold each other tight, pee a little, and watch HBO's The Outsider. Welcome to episode 79 of the Lollygaggers podcast, a show about all sorts of different things, from comics to games, movies to TV. I am one of your hosts, Jeff. I'm the other one, Justin. How's it going, buddy? It's going all right, man. Did you finish Lost in Space? Did you do your homework, or did the dog eat it? I did. Uh, I and when I finished watching it, I remember I sent you a message on Discord uh, saying, "I now truly believe that the Robinsons are a terrorist sect trying to destroy the human." Yeah, race. I mean, there are times when they do things where I wonder, are they the bad ones at times? Like I know, like they do things that are supposed to be, like we're protecting our family and stuff like that. But there are times with some of their decision making process where I just want to be like. Yeah, I mean, I could see uh, an argument against this. A lot of decision-making processes are bad in that in that show. Um, yeah, but you know, still, we talked about it. Yeah. show underlining message of family. But holy moly, they're not that great of people. So, I mean, no, uh, they're okay. They're good people. I'm just saying that they're definitely family-centric and not necessarily like caring about the greater good, though. I, I, I think the counterpoint to that is that they do make certain decisions to try to save like everybody on the planet as opposed to just like a handful. So like there was that, but they also sometimes put themselves into into positions that I think they, they definitely want special treatment. You know what I mean? Like they, they definitely want that special treatment. And uh, and that's been in the case since the very beginning. Nonetheless, I mean, still a good show. I just think it's kind of funny to joke. The about Robinsons that. are the one percent. All right. <laughs> they do. Seem to have a pretty pretty cushy gig, and they kind of get away with everything, and they make a lot of mistakes, and they cut a lot of corners, and they break a lot of rules, uh, but they never seem to get punished for it. Uh, so that's that's great. Uh, but it's still a good show. So if you're listening to that, like we're being smart asses now, but it's uh, it's actually a good show. And if you uh, if you didn't hear episode seventy eight, we uh, we actually talked about season two, and way back in like episode four, we talked about season one. Uh, so definitely definitely worthwhile. Uh, I hear that you have been watching other. Uh, other science fiction-y type stuff. So uh, so what do you got for us today? So, Jeffrey, a long, long time ago, <laughs> about a year and a half ago, before this thing even hit the air. Yep. All right. Me and you talking together. We had like three pre-episodes that we did to kind of like knock around ideas of how we want to do this and stuff like that. Yeah, we didn't During even know time, each other back then. Like we were like yeah. we were just put together by our agents. Complete and, strangers. Yeah. 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 Um, during that time, uh, I saw that a movie was coming out soon, and I thought, I want to read the manga for it because I like reading comic books. And that movie was called Alita Battlelander. And sure. I gave a little bit of a review of the comic and how it's very much an 80s uh, anime manga thing. So I thought, let's bring it all back because it came out yesterday on HBO. And I really didn't have much to talk about this week, but I saw that it came up. I'm like, oh my God, it's linking it all together. It's all it's all cyclical, man. Time's a circle. I know we already did a flashback or like a look back on Lost in Space. Now we got to look back on the Alita Battle Angel. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be great. So I watched it, and Alita Battle Angel, Battle Angel, not Angle, is directed by Robert Rodriguez. As writers James Cameron and uh, Leita Cali, oh boy, Leita Caligridis, um, and it is produced by uh, John Landau. And uh, so it stars Rosa Salazar, who's been in a couple different things. Nothing really huge. Um, I think the biggest thing she was in, let's take a look at this. She was in the, so she was in the, the Maze Runner uh, movies. I think she's like the lead female in the Maze Runner movies. And she was also in Bird Box, um, but I never saw that. So I don't know who she was. In Wait, what's her name again? Um, Rosa Salazar. Nah, she wasn't the main, the main one from Maze Runner. I don't, at least not the first one. Because there's only like one female character in the first one, so and she's there's, the and she's the one. Of them. She's in yeah. Scorch Trials and yeah. Uh, okay, I know who it is. Yeah, I know who it is. Then yeah. Okay. So uh, she's in it. You also got Christoph Waltz, um, who is uh, fantastic, uh, actually. Yeah, and also Inglorious Bastards. Oh yeah. You got Jennifer Connelly. You got Marshall Ali. Um, Ed Jennifer Screen, Connelly. Who, uh, I'll tell you, Labyrinth. Fell in love with her as a young child. Uh. She's been Stay in my life. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Pretty much. Yep. 
Ed Screen, who was he, he? I believe he's like the he's like the red haired guy in um uh what's the Mockingjay movies? I forget the name of them. Hunger Games. Uh, yeah, he was also guy. the bad guy from Dead uh, Deadpool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So um, basically, the story takes over the time of I believe the first two mangas. I only read the first manga, and the first manga kind of deals with there's some type of uh, a serial killer amongst uh, the the population. So basically, this is 300 years. I oh know it's it's in the tw- it's 25 something. So it's 300 years after the fall. The fall is this big battle that happened between Mars and Earth. And so Mars had this big revolt where they came and attacked Earth. Earth has these different floating cities. And during this great war, they brought down every floating city except for one. Underneath this city um, is, is like Zorn or something like that. I forget the name of it. It starts with Z. I did watch it most recently too, which is the worst part. Underneath the city is Iron City where everybody lives at. And basically if you live there, you never go up to, to the floating city because it's kind of like this separatist thing. And this floating city is uh, kind of run by this guy named Nova, who at the end is uh, it is revealed to be played by, oh, farts, what's his name? You're really prepared right now. Yeah. It was in the first Hulk. It was just in my head. What's his name? I'm just going to let you do this. Incredible Hulk. I know who you're talking about. Uh-oh. Here we go. Anyways. Uh, people so are you talking about Eric Bana? Is that, is that what you're talking about? Not Eric Bana. After Eric Bana, mm-hmm. uh, Incredible Hulk, not Ang Lee's Hulk. Oh, um, so Edward Norton. Uh, uh, there we go. Edward Norton. Okay. Uh, he's like your big bad guy in the movie. And he has like this power over a bunch of people. And he's trying to basically run this society below him to kind of like reap the benefits of their hard work, yet keep them separate and stuff like that. This is this whole subplot, this whole thing. Anyways, Alita is a robot that uh, Christoph Waltz's character, Dr. Ito, um, basically finds this robot carcass in the uh, dunk junkyard underneath the giant floating city. And he finds this uh, basically female robot and he brings it back to his, uh, his lab and puts the body he meant to put on his daughter. He puts like the lower, like all she is is a head and like a heart. And he puts that onto a body that was meant for his daughter. His daughter was a paraplegic. And he's going to give her his daughter, uh, like basically a, a a body transplant because in this world, in this time, basically you can just be a head and survive. You, you can just like kind of like transfer yourself into robotics. Everybody, robotics is part of everybody's life. Almost everyone in the whole movie has some type of robotics, except for Doctor Ito. He doesn't have really anything on him, and he finds her, puts that body onto, puts the his daughter's body onto this uh, female uh, head. And it is Alita, and his daughter's name was also going to be Alita. So he, he, she doesn't remember anything about who she is. So he calls her Alita to kind of like link to his daughter. And you slowly find out as the story goes on that she is some type of special weapon that is a couple hundred years old that happened during the war. And she is actually a part of the resistance from Mars that came to attack Earth. And she's basically like the most advanced weaponry ever to be produced in the world ever. And she's kind of stuck in this girl's body and this girl's mind that doesn't understand much. So it's basically a story of self-discovery and it's a sweet story of like a father and daughter. But in the end, she does a lot of kick-ass fighting. This movie is PG-13 and I don't know how they got away with it because there is like four bifurcations. Now I know a lot of it's on like robot people, but there's still people. And one of them's on a person where you basically guy just gets cut in half. There's a ton of blood. There's a ton of crap, but it's like a PG-13 movie, which I didn't get how it did, how they did that. Um, the art style is beautiful. Robert Rodriguez has a very gritty look to his stuff, but the way he kind of created this world of different, like, robotic-laden people was really, really interesting. The special effects are great. Um, some of the characters are mostly robots, like 99% robot, and he does these things with the design with, and I'm sure it has the, not so much with his vision as it is like with the special effects coordinators and stuff, but like it's just skin stretched over a robotic face and it looks so good. Um, some of it's a little clunky and weird because it, they are trying to interpret a manga of, of, of anime uh, origins. So you get a lot of manga things that don't translate well to real world, like the size of certain people and the way people move. Um, 
there's a big reveal of Dr. Ito with a giant weapon that he has. Um, it just looks clunky and not cool, but like in the in the manga, it looks as if it could be kind of like jet propelled and stuff. But in this in this movie, it just looks clunky and stupid. I feel like it could have done a little bit more better with like the jet propulsion and everything. That's like my only complaint about a lot of fighting. Her fighting is really cool because she plays. She does like this lost, forgotten fighting style that's only been done by her and her, um, her like I guess her her manufacturer style robotic fighting, and it's really cool and really and really uh, interesting. It doesn't have. I always thought it might have the problem of, you know, the transformer problem with everything spinning and twirling. You have no idea what the hell's going on. Sure, there's like a pseudo lot of technology. That in this. <laughs> like, like yeah, here, just blinky lights. There's a lot. Thing. Yeah, yeah. It's just like basically close-up slowdowns, just all this different stuff. This one wasn't bad. Like, there's a lot of close-ups and slowdowns and stuff, but there's really not, you're not confused. Not all the characters look the same. I think they did a lot of stuff. There's like a rollerball thing that they do, and like a lot of characters that are giant bright colors, and she's bright purple, and I think they did that on purpose, because I think a lot of times with those like Transformers movies, you know, you can't really tell the difference between Starscream and Megatron, and when they're all like doing different crap, it's just a, a mess that just kind of makes your brain hurt. But I thought this was really cool and really neat how they did it. The story ends on a cliffhanger because this is a long manga. I think it's maybe about 100, uh, I think 100 comics long or something like that. But this kind of ends on its on a little cliffhanger. And I looked into like the future of it. So like this movie came out and the industry thought it was going to be a giant flop. But it did $404 million in profit, which is a pretty big deal. It's not Avengers movie money, you know? But $404 million gross worldwide is huge. And a lot of that I'm sure had to do with, you know, overseas market because Elite is a very popular thing over in the uh, over in Japan. But they thought this thing was going to bomb, but it made huge money. But it was produced by 20th Century Fox. Recently, 20th Century Fox was acquired by another small company. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's an independent place, uh, Disney. Di- Disney. Disney, no. No, I think yeah. it's Disney. Yeah. So when Disney bought it, they didn't really, you know, they have all these different things they can use and, and kind of, so this is designed to be a sequel. Like this is supposed to be one of like three, maybe. And so when Disney acquired this property, they have the rights as to whether they want to continue it or not. And so they don't know what they want to do. Um, like the big reveal at the end of the movie is that the bad guy is Edward Norton, which isn't really a big reveal. It's just like, it's just Edward Norton, you know, it's like, whatever. Um, it's kind of, oh, like another actor decided to act in this movie. But like, it seems like it's kind of in limbo, but they're they're still willing to do stuff. John Landau is helping produce the stuff that's going on with the Avatar movies. And he said in a recent interview that he wants to do more Alita movies. And there's obviously a, a, a desire for people to see it. I thought it was a good movie. Like, I was I was enthralled the whole time. I wasn't bored. Um, and it's like a two-hour movie. And it, and it didn't seem like it was two hours. It was just a fun movie yes it does feel you know uh dragon ball z the the dragon ball movie there's some times where you, you get a little feel of that where it's like oh this is an anime movie that they made with the uh, people and it's not the best but most of the time it's still pretty good but like apparently uh uh the main actress uh rosa she says she wants to do the character it's basically all within fox's hand or all within disney's hands of what they want to do with the property so basically like if you push for it They'll make more. So I'm announcing today, Jeffrey, okay, on the widely uh, watched Lollygaggers podcast and listen to Lollygaggers podcast, that I'm starting the hashtag Alita 2, all right? And we're going to spread it across the world. Yeah, Alita 2, Electric Boogaloo. um, And we're going to push this campaign to get ourselves a new Alita movie because, you know, that was actually pretty good. But I do uh, want to make sure that they shift from bifurcating people to just, you know, serving people with a bunch of collaborative breakdance battles. Yeah, yeah no, you're, you're absolutely right. We're just Maybe like... Better. Maybe you might be able to get a PG rating. Got nothing on me. Let me see you dance, sucker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Um, of course, I like cheesy sci-fi sometimes. This isn't terribly cheesy, but like, you got to go in knowing this was a manga sometimes because some of it's very uh uh japanimation looking like the they they kind of stayed at home with the way some of the vehicles and the way certain things looked so you just gotta keep in mind when you watch the movie but i thought the action sequences were astounding the special effects are unbelievable uh and multiple bifurcations multiple um which 
you really you, you, you get your bifurcation for your money. You know what I mean? So sure. Yeah. Alita Battle Angel, directed by Robert Rodriguez. Uh, it's on HBO. It just came out on Sunday. They just released it because they do their new movies every Sunday. So yeah, that's that's what's up. I'm about to happen with you, buddy. All right, man. So I uh, I did watch an amazing movie on Saturday, uh, but it's uh, we're going to talk about that next week uh, once you watch it. So I'm not going to spoil it here, but I am going to play the most amazing sound we have ever produced on uh, on our podcast. Now it's time for a little role play. Wait, nope, nope. That's the wrong role play. All right, Justin, if uh, I could direct your attention quickly to our Discord channel. Uh, if you look in the general chat channel, I've put a series of links. These links are to various Kickstarters I'm about to talk about because uh, I got quite a few because February uh, is an oh interesting. My. Yeah, and, and February is an interesting month here on Kickstarter from the RPG realm because uh, what they're doing, what Kickstarter is doing is they're having Zine Quest 2. Uh, so that's Z-I-N-E, like magazine sort of. Uh, every time I look at that word, Z-I-N-E, it freaks me out. And I want to say Zine, but pretty sure it's Zine, whatever. Anyway, Zine's, it's basically like a small small little booklet it's not hardbound it's softbound it's uh it's not very long like 30 40 pages something like that uh and so what they did la- uh, i think it was in 2018 or 2018 2019 can't remember exactly a kickstarter did like zine quest 1 which is where a bunch of creators they were kind of child like rpg creators they did like this this month long thing where they would create these two week long campaigns and they would put up these small little kickstarter things now these Kickstarter campaigns are—they run—they like that a short one window of of two weeks. Uh, there's not a whole lot to it. It's just in the sense like it's not some big gigantic like D and D book or something like that. It's a small little almost like a playbill uh, like a uh, something like that. And usually what it has to be is it's like a setting book or it's like a rules light system or it's an adventure something like that. It's got to be RPG related and it can be part of kickstarters zine quest well they're doing it again it's 2020 and we're going through zine quest 2 started up for february and there's already oh just so many wonderful projects that are up and so th- i thought i'd curate a few uh and go through some and i've put like my first set of links up in our general chat and, and you can go go through these uh with me there's gonna be one or two that are gonna be like you're gonna be like what and uh, that's fine that's fine that's okay so so anyway, uh, I'll put these in the links for the show notes as well. So if you want to uh, kind of go see some of these these projects while you're listening, uh, go ahead and check our show notes for those links. But uh, the first one I want to talk about is called uh, Moon Sailors. Uh, it is Moon Sailors subtitle, a quiet spacefaring RPG zine or zine about being alone and not quite being alone. Uh, so this one is created by Anne-Marie de Jong. Uh, and it's got 12 days to go at the time of this recording, which means it's going to end on February 15th-ish, somewhere around there. It's already met its goal. The goals for these little short-run campaigns are always very small, like in terms of the money. Like they're just looking for a couple hundred bucks as opposed to some of the other Kickstarters that you've probably heard me talk about before, which have been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds or thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. These are going to be much smaller. Uh, they're usually a, someone's like first or second uh, creation. That These aren't like the major publishers. These are these are smaller, like first time, second time writers who are just trying to get these small, short run projects out there. Uh, but some of them are really, really cool. So uh, Moon Sailors, what I like about this one is that it's GMless. So I am a person who normally is in the Game Master role in, in our Adventures on the Leg Liking podcast uh, when we do our actual play of Zweihander. But I also do it like I've been doing the GMing, Game Mastering, stuff like that. And while I love doing it, it's fun to play games where there isn't like that one person in control from time to time and it's more focused on collaborative storytelling and acting and that tends to be the stuff that i enjoy a little bit more than some of the tactical stuff and the crunchiness of rpgs i tend to lean a little bit towards the other stuff and moon sailors is a game that has that element that element where it's three to five players and no one has to be the gm instead everybody is like their own traveler in space so we're all in space and we're all solitary and we're all kind of exploring and, and we're taking turns like going and creating scenes or prompting each other with questions about what we're finding, what we're hearing, like what we're seeing, what we're feeling, all that kind of stuff. Uh, while this isn't necessarily a game I would play with my main group, it's the game I might actually incorporate into some of my classes because I do a lot of writing and creative writing stuff in my job. And so we're often looking for collaborative storytelling projects because I do teach some classes that really focus on the concept of collaborative storytelling and collaborative world building. Uh, and so this game is is sort of a pick up and play. It's not some on you know long uh, ongoing campaign. Instead, it's a very short like one shot type of thing. And so uh, 
in character creation, when you create your your actual person, your drifter, uh, you 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 basically do a little Mad Lib, and so you are a blank, and then like the character creation has a couple of examples. You can be a drifter, you can be a courier, you can be a castaway, a survivor, or an oracle. Uh, you can probably also just go off the book and create whatever the hell you want to. Uh, then it also you have to figure out what are you traveling the system for? Are you are you looking for work or meaning or solitude, entities, flotsam, things of value? And then there's a little bit about your ship as well. Um, there are a couple different locations that you can visit as well. In the game itself, there's eight. Uh, a couple of them uh, that are previewed on the Kickstarter is a uh, a city ship sage, uh, a mining base, uh, a planet called Viridian. Uh, so there's different locations that you can explore as you're going there and kind of going through those experiences. Uh, and then what I thought was really cool is that wherever you go, you're collecting evidence of you having been there, but also leaving evidence of you being there. I think back a little to like some of the large, grandiose spacefaring RPG simulators that we have seen in the past few years that have some have come out, some haven't come out. And I always really like space exploration. And so this is like a fun little thing. I, th I think it's a smaller game. Uh, it's a small little book. It's super cheap. It's like anywhere between like four to eight bucks, basically. Uh, you can get this little PDF or you can get a physical copy for eight bucks. And it's like 30 something pages. It's a quick game. Even if you only play it like once or twice, you're definitely not only get your, your money's worth, but you're also helping out like an independent creator. And I think that's pretty cool. Uh, there's not like these this huge combat system in this type of game. That's not what this is about. This is just more about the idea of kind of collaborative storytelling uh, and just exploring and trying to use your imaginations to figure out like, what are you seeing when you're in this system? What are you seeing when you're at this location? Like, what are you trying to do? And sort of exploring your own individual character. So that's the first one. That's Moon Sailors. Uh, and it's again, it's 12. The art looks a lot like uh, 1950s futuristic what you think space is going to be. A little bit. I mean, there's not a ton of art in these things, like in the you know, but there are some. Yeah. Like the uh, like the, that little the, the picture of the like in the middle after underneath the character creation on the on the, the page. Like there's a couple little inserts of some of the imagery that you're going to see. Uh, there's a place called Rosie's Diner, uh, which is pretty cool. So it's actually literally it's just like a diner in space, which is pretty awesome. Uh, and then there's like Tyrion, which is like a moon. And then there's the IAR pitch, which is some sort of like satellite slash space station thingy. Uh, so it looks really cool. Uh, it's and even, yeah, even just to flip through this uh, could be a lot of fun. Now, if you're continuing to follow along with the, uh, with the Discord channel there, Justin, the next one is called The Company. Uh, so I'm going completely, completely different direction. The other one was kind of light sort of relaxing exploration of the stars and sort of seeing what's going on. I'm going to the other side with this one. This one's called The Company uh, Corporate Survival Horror. This one's by Logan Dean. Uh, this is also his first created Kickstarter. Uh, this one's pretty fascinating. I'm just going to read you a little bit uh, of what's actually in here because uh, he describes it pretty well because essentially you're playing as fixers. You're playing as corporate fixers. So the company, which is known in the game as Wuhan Baxter Corporation or WB. I'm not sure if that's like a like some sort of like it's a I'm not sure if they're talking about like Warner Bros or not or if it's just like a coincidence. But anyway, the company is a corporate survival horror RPG about capitalistic meddling and greed set against a backdrop of industrial disaster. Players take on the roles of specialists in the Wuhan Baxter Corporation's Arc Division, a private emergency response and containment unit. Uh, and so basically, and that's and that's all directly from the description. So what you do, players are essentially playing people who are going out and trying to uh, trying to fix whatever has gone wrong at their various holdings, at their various locate at the company's various locations where things might have gone wrong. So you know, kind of think to some sort of strange degree, like think about Half Life and Black Mesa and like all that stuff, how it went wrong. You're like the corporate fixers coming out to try to figure things out. Uh, because as this company is pushing the boundaries of technology, things are going wrong and all sorts of crazy, horrific things might transpire because of people messing around with technology. Uh, now, one of my favorite little parts of this is that XP in the game isn't actual XP. It's instead company loyalty. So as you continue to do these jobs for the company, like the company gets loyal, more loyal and uh, towards you. And so like you can actually use that to buy new things and to advance your character. Uh, so this one actually has classes. Uh, so this one is a soldier, uh, scientist, medic, technicians, and engineers. So this could be, you could be like a private military contractor. You could be a field researcher. You could be a digital network guru. Uh, so there are a couple different types of things that you can do. 
Um, classes might be an extreme term for that. I don't think it's that robust. It's more like a profession that's helping you do your, your RP. Uh, it's a D10 system, which is pretty cool. Uh, and it's having to deal, and there's like a stress mechanic. Uh, a lot of the games I've been playing with the last few years have incorporated the idea of mental stress, the wear and tear of seeing various horrors. And I really like horror games. Uh, so I'm really kind of curious to see how that uh, transpires. It's cool because like the, the zine for this one, uh, when they print it out, it's basically an employee handbook. So it actually looks like something you would you would get if you got a new job at a place in like 1987 and you got an employee handbook and you had to go through it. And so that's exactly what the physical product's going to be. Uh, so this one's also, again, fairly cheap. Uh, it's 10 bucks for a digital copy. You can do 20 bucks for a physical copy. This one's a little bit bigger uh, than the last game, but still, again, has that same idea of being sort of somewhat small. So that is uh, the company. Uh, and again, that one's going to end in 13 days from the time which we're recording. So we're looking at around the 16th of February. Now, the next one, Justin, on the list is uh, is a game that, um, that caught me for a particular reason that has nothing to do with the actual game. Uh, the name of this one is called Willow. It is a grim micro setting. Uh, and this one is created by Shane My Walsh. Gosh. And exactly. I went to it because it said Willow. And Willow is one of my all-time favorite movies. I love that damn movie. And... It has nothing to do with Willow, other than the fact that they're both like medieval type worlds. Uh, Willow is different than the other two in that it's not a game unto itself necessarily. It's just a setting. And it's a setting that's originally sort of created for uh, the swords and wizardry rule system. But it says that it could be easily picked up and placed into like D&D 5e or into any sort of old school system. And since I mainly play Zweihander, that's like my main game. That is an OSR type system. So uh, I'm hoping I can like pick up and put this uh, this little micro setting. So by micro setting, I don't mean like you're developing the entire vast world. Instead, it's just like a singular town. So that's exactly what this game is. It's a modular town that can be dropped into your campaign, fully formed and flavorful. So you can put it anywhere you want, anywhere that sort of makes sense within your own game world or within if you're using an established game world from any of the the many Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder or all these other setting systems uh, that you have. So here is the, the summary of the setting that has been provided by Mr. Walsh here. Uh, a dreary provincial town called Willow sets beside, set beside the Lake of Tears. Uh, the lake is framed by weeping willow trees, their vines pouring to the lake shores. Willow is not what one would call an upbeat town. The rains here are relentless and the gray skies loom low like a giant cage. Travelers do not linger here long. One night in the Blue Brew Inn is enough to make most jump on the ferry and move on. But recently, the ferries have stopped running as something terrible has taken up residence upriver. Meanwhile, the town residents will not talk about the noises echoing up from the staircase that descends below the lake or the broken stone circle on the hill at the edge of town. The town's leader, a witch named Morose Morgan, is a recluse and refuses to leave her island and answer any questions from travelers. Uh, so what's really cool about this game is in addition to just being a setting, it's also like a hex crawl. Uh, so a hex crawl basically is... Uh, kind of gives the the players the freedom to kind of go whatever they want and the and then preparation you kind of develop these little hexes on your map for various things that you can encounter in there so it could be uh specific npcs specific locations specific uh clues or evidence that might uncover the overall mystery that your that your players might be trying to tackle uh, and this game is very much a mystery or this the setting is very much mystery focused you can kind of hear it in sort of their flavor description there uh there's some cool little artwork uh that's black and white sketches that not only show the town in its like artistic layout, but also show it in its hex crawl layout if you want to use it that way. Uh, there's going to be five keyed hex locations and a, some random encounter tables for different areas, some monsters as well. Uh, there's going to be an NPC generator, which is pretty, that's actually pretty robust for a zine like this. Uh, and then there's going to be what I think is pretty interesting, an NPC relationship web. I've been using this web system, this conspiracy system for Zweihander lately. So I'm kind of curious to see if there's any kind of similarities between that and what I'm doing. And then it kind of goes through some of the different locations. Uh, there's going to be, an, there's like town history, which is always cool. Cause I think when you're doing world building of locations, I think history is always fun uh, to mess with. And there's also the promise of like magic items and stuff like that. Uh, on the Kickstarter page, there's previews of some of the art uh, for the characters. And there's this ashen dryad that looks pretty badass. Uh, I think excellent artwork there. Yeah, pretty cool i think it's been moving. yeah so lots of cool things in this one this one is planning on be about 32 or more pages which honestly with everything they're putting in there that's that's gonna be a tight zine but uh, uh i'm all for it so this one looks really cool 
uh, when we like these booklets are kind of small and apparently there's going to be color printing, but almost entirely one color. So I'm not sure if it's like going to be black and white with a highlight color, if that's what they mean, or if they mean black and white. So I'm a little unclear on that, but that could just be my ignorance. Uh, but it looks really, really good. I definitely like modular stuff. And if somebody else is doing like a fully developed location, this could be a really fun game to pick up and do one shots or a series of small adventures, like in the same dark kind of fantasy fairy tale theme that they're trying to, to convey here. So looks really cool. That's Willow. Uh, pricing for this one, it's in Canadian money. Oh, I should have noticed. Oh, I'm so sorry. Never, so it's, no. it's not legal tender then. <laughs> Uh, so it's uh, it's six it's bucks. It's in thirty-five different gallons. Of- oh, stop it! It's six bucks for the PDF, and it is eleven bucks. This is all U.S. I'm saying, uh, eleven bucks for uh, the print version. Uh, and so again, that's closing down in twelve days. That's going to be on the fifteenth of February. So I got two more to go. Let's see if I can get through these. Whew. Oh, this is this is going fast. Maybe I'll just do one more, and I'll hold a few for next week. So let's do the last one then, Justin. You ready? This one is is especially for you. Uh, this one's called Derby Drama. This is a tabletop role playing yeah, game about the drama and excitement of skating in a roller derby bout. I am all about uh, non traditional RPG settings. I love this kind of stuff. Uh, I love games that like we like RPGs are dominated so heavily by fantasy. And like I just went over Willow, and I love fantasy settings, but it's always cool to see what RPGs can provide in terms of other settings and locations. Uh, like the corporate the corporate fixer one was kind of similar in a sense that it's not the most common, uh, but we see so much fantasy. We see so much like cyberpunk is huge these days with Altered Carbon and Cyberpunk 2077 coming out you know, sometime in 2020, both the physical, you know, the actual video game and the digital game. It's nice to see these other things. So uh, this one is being created by Libby Horacek. Uh, this is her first created game. Uh, and this is actually a game. So unlike unlike Willow, this isn't just a setting. There's actually rules to this. Uh, and this is, a, this is a game that's sort of trying to show the experience of playing on a roller derby team or within a roller derby league with some amount of accuracy. Uh, there's a couple different... There's a couple different... Uh, not, I'm not sure if I should call them like rules, not rule sets, but there are a couple different sort of modules that that's going to be included in here that sort of change or shape the the foundational framework of your game uh so one of them is basically like in this little set of zines uh, zines that they're doing one of them is the bout which is basically basic rules and then there's whole uh, there's holler derby which is a modern day flat track roller derby setting and then there's also and this is the one i'm super interested in worldwide roller league which is a 1970s bank track roller derby setting and I can't help, like, just I can't help but think. I know I shouldn't. I know this is probably an insult, maybe. I'm not sure. I don't know much about roller derby, but when I think of roller derby, I think of rollerball, you know? So I'm just like imagining yeah. in my head, yeah. I should do a one shot where everybody, like, we're basically we're, we're doing rollerball. Like, it just sounds so, so fascinating. Uh, so yeah, there's all these, there's like a series of, of zines that you're doing for this one. Uh, so it's not just like one little, little piece. It's a couple different things with sort of different ways that you can play. So if you want to play it more about what, what a flat track is like, or what a bank track is like, you can go for it and do that as well. Um, the Kickstarter page describes the settings in a little bit more detail, like where they, they take place, like Appalachian, Ohio, for instance. And there's like a, like different little details for there. And then the worldwide one is, uh, is like more like a traveling, they go from city to city and they're a little bit more theatrical with the way that the tracks are set up. Uh, there's stress tokens. There's this little picture of a prototype scoreboard that comes with this. So it's a prototype scoreboard and team cards and you can track track like your stress. There's like D6s, you're rolling D6s here. Uh, you're trying to accomplish a certain things. Plus there's moves. Uh, and Justin, one of the names, one of the move names is Eat the Baby. Uh, I should, I, I would, right. I don't know what it means. I should have looked it up, but I'm just going to let it float out there. And let's like, eat a baby. let's That's just, brain. I, I'm going to assume that the baby has something to do with being the ball. Maybe again, I'm super ignorant in this. I just like this kind of stuff because it's totally off the beaten path for me anyway. Uh, there's different positions and like reference cards, there's blockers and jammers. So I'm, I'm learning all sorts of this terminology about, uh, about roller derby that, uh, that I, what I thought was a accurate portrayal of roller derby uh, in the movie Rollerball did not provide me with uh, that kind of education. Uh, so this looks really fun. It's uh, the gameplay is described as in alternating phases of drama and then sports action. 
uh, which is not like I can definitely see how that works. It's sort of some other games that I play. We have drama scenes and we have fighting scenes and we have drama scenes and fighting scenes. So it seems like this is sort of the same. Uh, they they call them jams. So each jam, it uses your athletic prowess and skating skills to dominate the track. Uh, I so. listen to this and I feel like I'm listening to like a WWE right. description. And a little bit. Like I definitely like the, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know a whole lot about roller roller derby or roller ball one way or the other. I like, do believe there's a level of theatrics. So. Well, this definitely like definitely the the bank track setting was was stressing that. So this one's definitely different and I like different. And so hopefully I can talk people into playing this at some point. Uh, I have not yet talked anyone to playing a uh, an RPG of manners, the uh, the Pride and Prejudice Jane Austen RPG that I really wanted to play. No one seems to want to play that with me for some reason, uh, but maybe I can get them uh, to play uh, Derby drama. So. So anyway, that one also is ending within the next 12 days or so. So around February 15th, uh, I'm hoping there's going to be a second wave of these. I'm going to try and talk about a few more in next week's episode. Uh, I'll curate a few, but there is dozens and dozens of these. Just head to Kickstarter, look up the uh, uh, the Zine Quest 2, and hopefully you can get some more. So uh, take a look at these. They're all pretty cheap. Derby Drama has like multiple books, and you can get the PDS for 5 bucks, or you can get some hard copy stuff starting at $10. Uh, so you can get a bunch of different things. So it looks really fun, looks really cool, and... If you're a creative, I mean, don't just think about backing something about making your own. And maybe if I were more prepared, I would have uh, put my own together because I have a couple ideas that I'm uh, I'm uh, throwing around in my head. But that's all I got for this week. Uh, so that is Kickstarter Zine Quest 2. Uh, Justin and I now are going to go talk about something very scary. It's the movie. Breakdown. All right. For this week, Justin and I are going to take a look at The Outsider. Uh, on HBO. It's created by Richard Price, and it's based on the novel of the same name by Stephen King. Uh, it's a new HBO miniseries, and it's currently airing. It stars Ben Mendelsohn, which people might recognize from uh, Rogue One. Uh, he was uh, one of the villains in Rogue One, uh, one of the architects of the Death Star. And he also was a, was fantastic in the uh, Netflix show Bloodlines. Uh, so Ben Mendelsohn, he stars as Detective Ralph Anderson, who is investigating a brutal child killing uh, in his small town, a killing that seems to point directly at a character played by Jason Bateman uh, named Terry Maitland. Uh, now, the evidence for this is overwhelmingly pointing towards Terry Maitland. We're talking physical evidence. We're talking uh, eye, you know, eyewitnesses. We're talking video cams, all sorts of stuff that seems to direct everything at Terry Maitland. So it seems like a straightforward arrest. And even though they follow that particular process, very quickly what seemed like despite being a horrific and confusing and like why would he do this type of thing was still nonetheless clear it quickly turns into something far more complicated as all sorts of conflicting evidence begins to arise and the question of whether or not terry maitland was truly responsible for these killings uh, becomes more complicated and as the series progresses it becomes clear that it's not just a case of who done it, but it's also potentially a case of what done it as a supernatural element, like most many Stephen King books uh, and stories tend to incorporate, tends to float into the story itself. Now, so far, we have only seen five of the episodes for HBO's miniseries, and there's a plan 10 episodes. Uh, so I think we're just going to talk about the first half now, our impressions so far, what we're liking, what's making us scared. And uh, we'll probably come back to this in a month or two when the back five episodes of the series have aired. Uh, so, Justin, uh, The Outsider, what you thinking? So I like this stuff that like HBO is doing and certain, pro certain programming companies are doing where, you know what, we have a good idea. Stephen King's books are like a thousand pages long. We can get 10 episodes out of that. right? And, you know, he's got decent stories. And when you put on top of it, uh, like good production and good directing and, and good visuals. It makes like really, really high quality stuff. And I was instantaneously drawn into this show. The, the stuff with, with Jason Bateman, like it's almost so a matter of fact of right. what's happening that mm -hmm. it's like, well, what, what's, what the hell's happening here? Like this guy obviously did this heinous and truly truly awful. heinous thing. absolutely awful and this is all like right off the back in the episode and we're we're not really spoiling anything there yeah. there is no spoilers with this because it's like right off the bat like five minutes they start talking about what happened that he did it and that there's really nothing that you can do to kind of disprove that he did do it because multiple eyewitness accounts more uh dna fingerprint all types of evidence and then it's like 
well, maybe he didn't do it. Right. Or how did this happen? Because at so, the as the first episode progresses and it's told somewhat out of order, it's told like nonlinearly. And then into the second episode, all sorts of this new evidence begins to to come up because the arrest is done somewhat prematurely by one point of view, but at the same time, the detective, you know, played by Ben Mendelssohn, he was he he's like, look, I have all this evidence. Why wouldn't I arrest him at that point, right? But it's definitely clear that there's this ridiculously conflicting evidence. You're like, wait a second, that makes no sense. How could this person sort of be in two places at once as they start to check into his motive and stuff like that? So it's so confusing. How familiar were you? Did you know about the book ahead of time? I was, I'm just curious. No, I, I didn't know about it. And Jeremy likes to read a lot of, or he His has brother. read a lot of Stephen King. I even asked him, have you read The Outside? No, I haven't read it. So like, right. I think it's one of his, he's got, a, I think, 7,000 novels. He writes two a week, I believe, all 1,000 pages. So like, That's true. he's got a bunch out there that they can pull. Like, he's almost like comic books. You can just pull one of them and be like, let's make a show out of it. Yeah, he's pretty and, prolific. Uh, I, I did not read the book. My mother gave me a copy of the book because she reads from time to time, but I didn't read it. And I didn't even put two and two together that they were linked because I didn't have this on my radar. This, uh, this particular show, I, I was getting ready to cancel my HBO because I'm like, all right, Watchmen's over. I'm ready to move on. And then I'm like, oh, what's this outsider show? So good. And then I watch it. I'm like, so well, guess I'm keeping HBO now because I'm like, the, I really want to watch it. What I love about it is first off, uh, Mendelssohn does a great job. Um, uh, I think he also might be the most successful actor with a linear lisp in the entire world. Um, I love the guy. I love this guy. <laughs> yeah, like everything I've seen him he in does great. has been fantastic. Uh, he, like the Netflix show Bloodlines was pretty brutal. I started watching Bloodlines uh, simply because it was set in South Florida. I grew up in South Florida. Like this was the keys, but I was a little north of it. So I was really excited about the setting. And it was like this family mystery murder thingy going on. And he played the kind of the black sheep of the family that was that was blamed for a lot of like the bad things that happen. And he comes back and he his character portrayal in that first season was so fantastic, like just utterly fantastic. I'm like, I've I, I'm like, where is this guy from? I, and then I remember he was in uh, he was in bat was it uh, the, the third Batman Dark Knight Rises. Uh, he was in that as well. He was one of the corporate guys. Didn't really have a ton to so, do so in that one. But main scroll and Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. He was in that. Too. Like, he's yeah. been in a bunch. He's been in a lot of stuff. So, like, and I'm glad to see that. Like, I think he's he is crushing this role because he's playing a detective that's not only like coming to grips with trying to figure out this case and how it's taking him way beyond his comfort zone as a detective. But there's also this horrible backstory to him where he and his wife lost their own child, right? And like that's again not spoiler. You get this right off the bat. And it like um, personalizes it towards his. And character. it's just and his, oh god, his he's driven his driven want to kind of like catch this predator. Yeah, yeah. that's out here doing things. And then on top of that, I think the Holly character is great. But my only thing about the Holly character is, um, I find sometimes that Stephen King really likes to use the mentally challenged a lot in his in his writings a lot now she's not necessarily mentally challenged she has like a form of like asperger's or something like that so she's not i'm not really sure what's going on with her it's, it's interesting and and i was going to ask you once we get into spoiler territory what i have a thing of what i think is because there's a lot there's a big thing that you find in a lot of his novels that everything's kind of he's created his own mcu before the mcu was created it's the sk you Stephen King universe, I guess. Um, so I have a thought of what I think it is, but like he does that a lot with a lot of his books and a lot of his stuff. He did it with, um, uh, what was the dream catcher? He did it with, uh, what was the, the, the dark tower. There's a big thing with that too. Like he uses a lot of those that are mentally challenged or mentally or socially incapable or something like that. And I thought, I thought that was a little strange, but then once they started fleshing out the character more, I was like, oh, yeah, this is a good character. Yeah, she's in, she's, just, she's she's interesting. She's interesting. I'm not sure if it's like if she's got some sort of zvontism going on. Um, but like the character that Justin's talking about is a private detective that they eventually hire to assist in the case, right? So, and she begins. Well, I to think be- the woman acting her is unbelievable with what she's. Doing. It's like so. I think she's. Job. Isn't she nominated right now? Isn't she like nominated for like supporting best supporting actress in like one of her? Wasn't she in one of the movies? It's coming out now. Pretty sure. I I can't think of what she's in. I have to look at it. So, uh, yeah, it's Cynthia uh, Arivo. Uh, so she um like so she has this she had this weird history where she talks about how like her parents like allowed her to get studied and poked and prodded as a kid, 
uh, because she has a weird way of kind of viewing the world different than what we, you know, most people would. And like, she has this knack for counting uh, certain things and she has a knack for retaining certain history. And so there's this, this interesting perspective that she has, which makes her such a great detective because she becomes focused and it's almost like puzzle solving and she'll take, you know, the evidence wherever it takes her. Um, but she's a great character. She's actually not in the first episode. Oh, she's Harriet and Harriet Tubman. That's what I knew she was nominated for something. Uh, she, uh, she, I definitely think like her character is, it's, it was interesting when her character came on the screen because I didn't, you know, I, I'm not familiar with the story. So like when she showed up, I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. It's a main character though. They're not really introducing pretty much until like the third episode or something like that. So she comes a little late. And so that first episode, which is such a shock, that first episode. And then the second episode, uh, definitely is the second punch on top of it. And it really begins to hook you. She's also the, the black female lead in Bad Times, the El Royale, which I, which I enjoyed that movie. I remember that movie. I think, I yeah, that. I remember that movie. That's the, yeah. that's She's right. the one that hits, uh, Jeff Daniels over the head with, uh, not Jeff Daniels, Jeff Bridges. Like, Jeff why, Bridges why are you hitting Jeff Daniels over the head? Don't hit the dude. Same person. Just, the same wait, man. no, the dude uh, is Jeff Bridges. Never mind, I fucked that up. But, uh, he, he she hit him with, yeah. But like, I, I'm constantly intrigued by the show. The amount of tension that is built in this show is unbelievable. It like it hurts you sometimes. You're like, something's gonna happen. Something's gonna happen. Why hasn't it happened yet? And, but then sometimes, like the thing that you think is gonna happen doesn't really happen. But it still just makes you feel like, oh my god, it's just it's so good. Yeah, like, when I'm I'm just it's so a slow burn to it. I am a huge fan of slow burn stories. Uh, I mentioned it before. Some of the other stuff that we covered on on, on the podcast. I love taking my time. I'm very patient uh, when it comes to these types of things. I know it's building and building and building, and I'm already I'm ready for that that slow ride. Now, I do honestly probably prefer <laughs> them to be all all the episodes released at once, so I can control the drip uh, as opposed to somebody else controlling how much I get that narcotic. Well, I watched uh, but... all five in like one day, so it's it it's a it's rough. It's a rush, and then it gets real freaking creepy at certain points. The little girl creepy and then like all stuff that happens is it's giving me a hard time jeff but i really like it a lot yeah i like it a lot it's just really rough i um like i've definitely seen people complain about it actually because they think that the pacing is too slow but i don't know if this is just a case of just me not minding slow paced stories that i know are going somewhere like i always feel like since this is based off a specific book that already has the story arc in place I am a little bit more willing to sort of follow it along because I know it's going somewhere. This isn't like a bunch of people in a writer's room that are sort of writing by the seat of their pants and trying to figure out where something goes. This is they have a plan. They have an arc. Now, how they adapt it, obviously, from the book is under some question. But I'm always like ready and just to go on that sort of slow ride. And I think the other thing that allows me to have patience is that the individual performances and the characters that are happening are so brutal and wonderful because uh, Terry Maitland's wife, uh, I was trying to look up the the actress who actually plays her, uh, Julia Nicholson, uh, she's a, a fairly prominent figure in many scenes with throughout the first like five episodes so far. Oh my gosh, I, I feel so so horrible for that woman. Like she is, she is a, a mother of multiple children, multiple uh, daughters. I think she has two daughters and her husband is accused of a murder that all evidence suggests from her perspective, he, he didn't commit. And, and it's just this unfathomable, she doesn't know what to do. And then you're thinking about the way in which this small town is harassing her. So even though there's this terrible horror element to it, and, and there's like this sneaking boogeyman that's kind of going around in the background, like weaving in and out, trying to figure out exactly who this person is or what this person is in terms of this villain, like there's still the character drama that's going out and unfolding as this small town is sort of turning on her and her children. And it's just like that, that to me is hooking me like that, that kind of stuff. And if the, I suppose if like the performances weren't, you know, as, as good as I think they are like that, then maybe I might think differently, but right now, like I'm feeling really good about the show. Uh, there's some, there's a couple quirky characters here and there that I feel like I'm not really sure or things, things felt a little cute. Uh, like there's this one scene of, of particular note where Holly is in a jail visiting a, a, a potential witness, like as she's doing her investigation and she's speaking with this, this witness and that's fine. But then randomly this other woman who happens to be at the jail visiting somebody else at the same time, like invites to come talk to her and then drops all the supernatural background exposition stuff, which is very Stephen King. 
meaning you have yeah, to have that I character think, I think to that's drop the that only stuff. Thing where I was like, eh, it's super artificial. It's so convenient um, and artificial. That was like the one not, major criticism I had. But like, it's not as bad as like an M Night Shyamalan Lady in the Water uh, type of thing, where like grandma gives the entire exposition i don't even remember in lady in the water that's how bad i thought it was <laughs> but, <laughs> I, I watched it once yes. i'm never going back i i agree i completely agree with you when that situation happened, well you know i guess this had to happen sometime so here we go but like other than that i i've enjoyed every part of it um there's a lot of little things that are spoilery that i'd like to talk about so i guess maybe we want to Right. Kind of shift into that a little bit. No, we can so. do, totally do it. So if you're if you don't want to hear Justin and I talk for like a few minutes about just like theories, whatever, just you can go ahead and skip to the end of the episode now. And so we'll talk for like maybe five minutes here. Uh so last warning. So uh so yeah, I mean I do think that what it is in terms of like it's specific, like whatever this is doing the killings and setting up all this this grief and trauma, like it's already been told to us. Like that scene is specifically yeah, what it is. That's now, done what that exactly means i'm not really sure but it's fascinating to me like the different powers that are slowly creeping out because it definitely yeah, has like the are, doppelganger creating, good yeah they are creating like succinct rules though which yeah I that's enjoy. what i mean yeah. I, I like where it's like he can do this and this and this right and they stick by those rules like, so they're like, not like oh he's also superman he's got lots and lots of powers right so, he's got he's got sort of two distinct powers one is the ability to basically be a doppelganger and take on the shape of another person as he does with jason bateman's terry maitland character in the beginning and as we continue to watch the show we realize that he this this, this we keep saying he but we don't know what it actually is because they're cloaked in a hoodie most of the time uh, but they they have done this elsewhere as well and and that's part of what holly's investigating this just following the thread backwards to see these repeated crimes that are just far too similar but then he also has that weird ability of kind of mind controlling people where he puts that weird kind of blistery thing on the back of a person's neck, like through physical contact, which allows him then to force some sort of control. Like I'm really fascinated with what's going on with Jack's character. So Jack is one of the other cops played by Mark uh, Menchaca. And uh, he, he seems like kind of just like a, you know, kind of a hard ass uh, Southern guy who likes to hunt and wants to be left alone, but ultimately seems to be like a decent guy. And he's, I guess, going through a divorce or something, but he has somehow contracted that. And so now it looks like in the most recent episode, he's trying to like weasel his way in to the investigation that uh, Ralph is is helping to, to run as they're continuing to look into the, the case. Like that's pretty creepy. Uh, what's going on there? And I'm feeling, I'm feeling really, I'm getting really worried about Ralph because I don't want anything bad to happen to that guy. But the yeah, powers like, are pretty cool. Everything has been going on. Like, like you feel like at any moment it's all going to come crashing down. Um, I it feels like she has the shining. Yeah, it kind of feels like that. I mean, that's classic. That's that's classic Stephen King, and it's not even just Stephen King. It's classic like horror movie. But maybe it is just Stephen King started it. I'm not. I'm not really sure. But the idea that people like little kids and dogs you know, animals or like that can always tell bad. And so there's one of Terry Maitland's kids is seeing, you know, this, this hooded guy who is warning the detective not to continue investigating. But then again, most recently the detective's wife, that awful scene where she like breaks the, breaks the glass and then steps on it in her kitchen in in episode five. Oh God, that hurt when I watched it. And now she's seeing as well. So not only does he have like, he's got these mind controlled abilities he's got like that can be done remotely when he latches onto you, but he also can kind of go at will and kind of control you in his presence and stuff. And like his dreams too. this dream thing going on. Like he's pretty strong. (laughs) Like that's a, I don't know what his, like his CR is uh, and like what his difficulty is, which would make sense him being able to last millennia and millennia and millennia. Yeah. Be able to do this, you know, but like I got a really, especially during the MRI, I got a really strong feeling of the shining. Because it's like she's obviously talking to her grandma in the past, and maybe it's it's linked in some type of way. But overall, I think it's great. It's super creepy when he's having that conversation with her. It's so creepy. Um, everything about it is just uh, when uh, Jack's in the barn and he sees him slowly, and it really wasn't too much of a jump scare. Yeah, they had a little bit of a hint, but like it was mostly because you just see a shadow of a guy in a hoodie. It's just uh, oh boy. So I'm. I like every bit of it, but man, it is keeping me on edge and it's, it's, it's a fun show, but it is creepy as hell. It is definitely so creepy. It's very much, very much in the vein of, of Stephen King. Yeah. Stephen it's, King. it's great. And I actually like it better 
than a lot of Stephen because some of the Stephen King stuff is too demonstrably like obvious. Like this is is smart and subtle and slow, and I definitely like that slow burn and that kind of stuff. I think is it's just it's just more my kind of that my my kind of like terror and fear as you're building up that suspense as opposed to like you're just like oh look it's you know someone's someone's head just exploded. it also has a a really interesting like through line of don't like public opinion sway what you believe is to be truth or not you know because like uh the main character Mendelssohn, he's like he 100 percent believes it. this guy did this. all right. the evidence points towards that way but despite all the evidence despite all that stuff he still has something in the back of his head saying well if we're wrong then the guy's still out there and don't take the don't take public opinion you know do the due diligence of doing the right thing for all those who could still be hurt in the future and so like you have this whole underlying thing of, like you're talking about his wife is suffering with these people just treating her like garbage even though he wasn't even found guilty. He just, he wasn't even brought to the courthouse Yeah, and they don't know the truth about what was happening in the evidence the whole time. So like she's being shown as a monster because her husband was a, was a monster in the eyes of the, of the public. But like, it's, it's got this weird through line. Like, like I hate to like, like bring it into it, but like Casey Anthony, like the whole thing where there was a public opinion built on her. She was found innocent. It's still people, you know, by all the rules of the law. And I'm sure that, you know, there's, Things here and there, and I don't uh, about, about like uh, different evidence stuff and going on, but she was found innocent. And people drug through the media and through the court system that were found innocent, despite that, are still found to be monsters, you know, and stuff like that. Which is, I think, is an interesting kind of like through line of the show too. Maybe I'm seeing a little something extra into it, but like I thought that was really interesting. Little, little too. Yeah, I I don't feel comfortable going into that. Uh, but I will say I definitely think that this story beyond the supernatural supernatural components, I do think there's a compelling story underneath it. Like even without those supernatural components, just dealing with the notion of small town turning on people who have been living in that small town and being so quick to believe the worst of somebody and believe the evidence that points to the worst as opposed to the evidence that exonerates. Uh, so I do think that is going on in the fact that like the kids are being picked on too, like in brutally and they're not, and they're, they basically get kicked out of school like that. When that happened, when that, when that counselor teacher did that, I'm like, excuse me, how do you still have a job? Like you're kicking two kids out who did nothing. Like you're not you know, like that's, I was so enraged uh, as a, as a fellow educator. Uh, so anyway, uh, if you're still with us, uh, hopefully you've watched it. Hopefully you're enjoying it again. Well, I think we should definitely check in in a couple months, a month or two, uh, once those other five episodes, uh, finish yeah, yeah, airing yeah. and we should do another kind of look back, maybe not a full 20 minute thing. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what we feel. Uh, but that's about it for this episode, episode 79. Uh, so if you're liking what we're hearing, uh, and you wouldn't mind hopping up on one of the many various podcast outlets and dropping a review or a like and a subscribe for us, we would definitely appreciate it. Uh, those can certainly help with getting the word of our podcast out. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, if you have some ideas on things that we might want to talk about, if you've seen some Kickstarters, uh, RPGs or board game related, you might think uh, I could be interested in or some comics or, or video games that Justin might be, uh, might be wanting to touch base with, uh, go ahead and find us online. You can catch me on Twitter at lollygagger co that's C O at the end. Uh, you can find Justin at buys Justin. You can also just grab us, uh, grab a, a link to send us an email at, uh, the lollygaggers.com. Uh, Justin, you can catch him up on Mixer at mixer.com slash Jehufa for some uh, some WoW rating goodness. Uh, he's got some uh, some WoW raids uh, up on our YouTube channel and up on the website uh, with a couple of the first wings of the most recent uh, World of Warcraft raiding, uh, whatever the hell the raid's called. What's it called again? Nihalotha or something? Uh, Nihalotha. Yeah. Dark City, yeah, 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 yeah. and uh, and if you we're we're kind of testing out some Twitch stuff for our RPG group and trying to do some maybe some online play. I think we're gonna try some on Wednesday this week over on twitch.com slash the lollygaggers. If you want to come uh, take a peek at around, oh, I think it's something like uh, around eight o'clock or so Mountain Time, something like that. Uh, but that's about it for us. So, Justin, my final question for you: I provided you a bunch of different options for rpgs and i'm always trying to get you uh to play rpgs with us so uh what type of game or setting or system would would really kind of pull you over like what's the heroine for justin buys when it comes to like rpgs and stuff? what could i get you involved with um i don't know if there's a heroine okay uh, methamphetamine uh, uh but i have an idea for my own rpg it's an rpg with RPGs, where you 
one person uh, role plays as the DM, right? And others as different players of the game. And so it's almost like an inception of RPGs. Sure. So eventually, you don't know if you can get out of the RPGs. You think you're being clever, but I have talked uh, regularly uh, on this uh, podcast about a uh, comic called Die, D-I-E, which uh, deals with very much what you're talking about. And not only that, they're making a game about it, which I've also talked about, the Die RPG, uh, which has to do with people uh, creating characters to play as characters in a RPG game. So I want to look back yeah, and maybe listen to when I talk. Yeah, that's what I'm going to work. So, yeah. Okay.